Will tossed that rusty old grill into the lake and set the bar cilantro on fire. Welcome to the Dadward Spiral. I am uh, loud this morning. We are recording in the morning, which never happens. Um, I'm Aaron Pruner, creator of the show and uh, uh, dude lacking sleep. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron Flux and on Facebook at Aaron W. Pruner and on Instagram at Aaron W. Pruner and on the corner of Coldwater and Ventura on Sundays at noon. That's not true. Um, you can also find the show Dadward Spiral at Dragon Wagon Radio on all the spot, uh, all the all the podcast uh, places. And with me today is Eddie. Eddie, Hello. hi. Hey, it's good to be back. How can people find you before we get into everything? Uh, usual spots. I mean, uh, for your sins, you can follow me at twitter.com slash kirby.matrix uh and when i do stream which is not often at all it's uh twitch.tv slash zero dork 30 uh zero dork 30 not dark uh and uh yeah that's that's basically it instagram is i'm not even gonna pitch my instagram because i don't update it and when i do it's like super boring shit so yeah mine is just mostly pictures of my daughter doing weird shit and i think i need to scale back <laughs> did a slow motion video of just her walking down the street yesterday which i felt like i should put to like curb your enthusiasm music it was really funny her her gait she was like yeah. twisting and pointing was, out different things like she was our tour guide i was just about to say that millie and and i think even my wife commented on it but like millie and and lily have the same like you know cross uh, cross arm, cross torsion gait that yeah. like, and just, and with, Millie's doing this, like she steps, she travels primarily via stomp. Like she's not really walking. She's just sort of like stomping in succession. And it just happens to be a, a method of forward conveyance. Like she's just stomping the ground. She's really more interested in stomping the ground. And if it happens to move her forward, <laughs> then so yeah. be it. Lily's yeah. obsessed with trying to jump uh, jump recently, which has been a thing. And also, she just learned the word penis. So I'm hearing oh, that a lot. She was good. singing, Daddy has a penis over and over again uh, all day. Just Daddy has a penis all day long. And it's true. But I'm like, I know we want to be communicative with our kids and be open and honest. Yes. But holy crap. I didn't want to hear that while I was cooking dinner. Um, but you're good. I'm good, man. It's uh, it, it's. Uh, I am, you know, in addition to the full-time thing, I am, uh, I'm doing some consulting on the side and that's, that's, uh, as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to go work for about like another three or four hours. Um, and in addition to that, you know, the house, the house continue, the house build continues. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail there, but it's, it's been a thing. It's, it's, I, I told Rachel, I said, look, um, when I'm done with this, like sometime in March, when things like t- kind of calm down, I'm gonna I'm gonna just like plan a day to just sleep and do nothing but sleep <laughs> all day. I will not be reachable. Um, but uh, until then, I'm good. Until then, I'm I'm okay. Uh, you know, I'm just making it until then. So I feel like sleep is the dragon we're going to be chasing until our kids go off to college. It, it you know like we we joke about it and we it's like the the hip grind thing like yeah rise and grind all day like you know sleep is for cowards just but like no dude like sleep is as important as water and like you you all the latest science kind of shows that you fight off things yeah. like alzheimer's and like and and right. your your literal <laughs> brain health is so dependent on sleep so yeah I, I i fully recognize i'm making withdrawals from the bank that i'm not going to be able to like put back later in life so I'm, I'm trying to like get ahead of it now before it becomes like too entrenched as like a work habit right like six hours of sleep just something just something 
you know. Speaking of getting ahead of things, we could uh, ramble forever, but we have a guest we today. Do. We do. We do talk a lot. We talk a lot and we go on tangents and I can say some embarrassing things. That is my warning for this episode. I might say embarrassing things aside from my daughter talking about body parts. Um, today, I'm 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 excited. Uh, we have a guest that I I really admire on a professional and personal level. And he's a storyteller. He's a director. He's a writer. Uh, he has done all sorts of production work. He apparently knew you back in the day in passing. Um, and he's also a dad. And a lot of his work touches on familial, familial horrors, generational trauma, love, loss, grief, and then perseverance and beyond the difficult stuff that we face on a daily basis. You may know him from, let's see, Oculus, Hush, Doctor Sleep, Haunting of Hill House, uh, Haunting of Bly Manor, Ouija, Origins of Evil. Um, what am I missing? Oh, oh, Absentia, which is where I first learned about him. And I have, I think, two, I think I know two people who are in that movie. Um, I would like to welcome Mr. Mike Flanagan to the show. Mike, thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to talk to two dorky middle-aged guys about fatherhood. Oh, well, hey, it's it's three dorky middle-aged guys then. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled, to be, <laughs> thrilled to be in your company. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. Uh, how, okay, before we even get into anything, how the hell are you? It seems like you're busier than Eddie. <laughs> well, I... I, I'm so sympathetic to, to what Eddie was saying about sleep. Like I, uh, I dragged myself up this morning because um, I, got, I got more than five hours of sleep last night for the first time, maybe this year. And so I'm, I'm, I'm okay, but I, I'm, I'm chasing that same dragon you're talking about. Like, yeah. um, and, you know, as, I, I don't need to tell you guys, but uh, parenthood pre and post COVID are very different things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've been trying to kind of balance that with, um, with production. So I, you know, I'm, I'm in Vancouver right now. My whole family's here. We've been up here since, uh, last June. Um, we finished one show and now I'm, uh, five weeks out on another show. So we, I've been like frantically trying to, to line work up so I don't have to leave. Um, <laughs> I'm really like, we, we're relatively comparatively you know safe up here and so i'm like clinging to canada with with everything i can trying not to try not to have us go back to the states for a minute just until things get a little better but um, so you're basically living the uh the, <laughs> the idealized threat that many people i knew said they were gonna do if a certain person became president you, you are now <laughs> where uh, like we had this talk, my wife and I, because I'm yeah. Jewish and there were certain, uh, you know, hate crimes on the rise. And she was like, what are we going to do? Are we going to move to Canada? And I'm like, are Jews welcome in Canada? Is this a thing? I'm not even that uh, hardcore of a Jewish person. I eat bacon like it was. But but it's funny because I would hear that talk all the time. And you're in Canada. I've never been. I've heard lovely things. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's really it's very rainy here uh in 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 the couve but it's um it's really terrific <laughs> and i've been up here now like on and off for a couple of years we did blind manor here so that was a whole different world because i would fly back and forth from uh from vancouver to la which is a really short flight so i could i could just like make it home 
uh, every couple of days to see the kids. And, and it, I didn't feel like I was deployed, uh, which can happen on production. But, um, but then after COVID, when uh, Midnight Mass went up and we were going to keep, uh, keep shooting here, I just, I brought the whole family and, and we've just kind of embedded down and we've got this kind of whole new, very improvised life here. Um, while our house sits in, in, uh, in Los Angeles and all of our, all of our home, like everything that's ours is, is, is back there. So we, we've been trying to build something around us, not knowing how long we're going to be here. It's very weird. Does it kind of feel like you're on a prolonged vacation? Oh God, I wish. No, it, uh, it sounds, as I say it, it's like, yeah, that does sound nice. Like that sounds like a vacation. It's, it's been this very strange kind of, um, when you, you know, when, when you're kind of deployed for shooting, you, you build this very small little hamster cage around yourself. And it's like, sometimes it's in a hotel or you rent a house if you're really going to be there for a while. Um, but you're almost never home. And so it's this very temporary kind of uh, like a vacation, but you don't get to relax. It's like you don't get to do anything fun. You just kind of, you know, go to work and then you have a place where you crash. Uh, and so the difference here is we've had to kind of build a home where the kids can have some kind of stability and routine um, and where we have to kind of, you know, I, I've got three kids. I've got a 10-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And, and so the satellite schooling for them was a big thing and trying to figure out how we were going to pull that off and, and um, how to manage kind of these COVID bubbles because I'm on a you know, pretty intense COVID testing protocol for work. And I've got to uh, be really careful that, you know, kids can manifest uh, germs out of thin air and they, they can kind of create a common cold out of, out of nothing at all. It's, it's magic. Yeah. And um, so knowing that I have to kind of keep an eye on, on them, because if one of them sneezes, I have to go tell everybody at the production office. And we've got to figure out what to do at that point where it's like, you know, yeah, my two-year-old has the sniffles. It's like, all right, everybody stop moving as we try to figure out what we're going to do. Are we going to shut down the show? Like, let's get you tested. They put me in a big Ziploc bag for three days. Like it's, it's really, uh, it's been crazy, but yeah, it, it, um, we're, we're very lucky that we are able to get into Canada and, and bring the whole family like that. That's, that's an amazing, amazing amount of luck that we have. Um, but it has felt, I wish it felt like a vacation. It has felt very weird. It has felt like the, the emotional experience of it is almost like we're locked out of the house. And, and it's, you know, if we were to try to go back to the States, um, we could get back to our home but to come back here, that would just restart this whole process with the two-week quarantine and, and kind of registering with the Canadian government so they can track you and make sure you're not yeah. COVID into the country. And it's just a whole thing. But um, I had know, no yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we, Aaron and I both have friends who are sure running and, and, and doing sort of, you know, our friend Terry Metalis is, is right in the middle of sure running uh, season two of Picard right now. So he, that's a good chunk of his days is dealing with COVID precautions and just, and, and all that stuff. It's um, you know, it's funny because, you know, for folks who, for our listeners who, for, for the couple of listeners who don't work in the industry, yeah. <laughs> um, right. no, but for, for like, for, you know, but like when, 
for people who don't work in in production or, or content creation like you know especially with either a feature film or episodic tv you know there's these there's the pre-production period where you're it's mainly office work and maybe some travel around set visits and then it's production which is the 12 hour days on set and just you know you don't see anybody else for that four to eight weeks depending on on what it is you're doing and then it's post which is again office work but essentially long days and and mike and i both coming from from post-production who you know not say you came from that but you, you and i both spent some no, time. i totally did yeah, yeah you, totally you and i did. both you yeah. and i both incubated at if at the at some of the same companies in in the unscripted mm-hmm. tv world uh and that's where you and i first met you know 11 12 years ago whatever it was um you know so we know that that means you know some days are light you're out at like maybe 5 30 and then if you've got that cut going out to network it's yeah, you're there maybe, you're there power. Yeah. You know, yeah, bring a pillow. Sometimes it's like, cool, see you at midnight. Um, and, you know, like the, 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 the Frozen documentary that was on Disney Plus recently, I think did a good example of like showing an animation. There was one of the head animators who's like, yeah, I work until about six and then I go home and have dinner, put the kids bed, and then I come back and, and roto my scenes until like one. That's a crazy enough sort of schedule to have when it comes to you're also raising children during that time um so i guess my question to you is kind of two-part one you know how have you and your your partner like your your wife how how have you you know managed raising your kids in that world and teaching them like hey there are these times where dad's not going to be here for a little while and you may not see me for a few days um versus uh that now with that extra layer of covid like, how has that affected it? How are your How are you doing? How are your kids doing with it? What conversations have come from it? I'm just, I'm. That's that question is always at the forefront of my mind these days. I'm sure. You know, it's we. There's kind of two answers to that because we have two versions of our lives, and there's there's the one where I'm at work, which is kind of its own thing. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, Kate is often on the shows herself, and in in our last show, she was the the lead of the show essentially. So there's this period of time where we both go off in production and we're both gone. Um, And so we've had to kind of build an infrastructure of support around ourselves when it comes to childcare Um, that again, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to be able to do based on the show and the show assists with this because they know like they've got, they've got, you know, the the showrunner and the actor can't leave the house and leave the kids unattended. So, so, you know, they, they help us out with that to a certain extent. Um, but we've had to be very upfront with the kids about kind of how our jobs are weird and how sometimes we're not going to be home until three in the morning, four in the morning in production. And that means that someone else is going to be there to put them to bed. And, you know, it was easier when, when we were in, um, in the States because our family would help with this, you know, like that's, that's where my parents would get involved and, and, and Kate's mother and my brother. And it's like, we, we kind of had our extended family who could, who could lend a hand with this. It's been trickier um, in Canada, where we, we've had to try to find people that we can kind of install as part of our bubble and mm. find nannies. And, and like, we have two we have two nannies that basically kind of tag team the, the time when we're both gone. Um, and it's rough for them because it affects their whole family, too. They have to kind of adhere to a very strict COVID protocol um, because they are in a direct chain that leads all the way onto the performance zone of my set. And so, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the, 
that puts them under the same scrutiny of, of having to completely kind of isolate and close off their social bubbles and of having to kind of report immediately any, any symptoms of anything, any sniffles, sore throat, any tem- temperature spike, you know, upset stomach, even that isn't related to COVID. And then that kind of kicks off this other thing with the family. So it's, it's very much like managing two productions. There's, there's the production for the show and then the house is a production. Um, like that is its own thing. And we had other cast members um, who were, you know, transplanted from uh, around, around the States, came up here to do the show and brought their children and we started, Kate and I early on looked at that and said, how do we limit these various bubbles and try to combine all of this? And so at, at a certain point during the last show, we had um, a, uh, a set tutor who came to our house and uh, did schooling for a number of the kids of the cast. And our, our house kind of became the, the school hub for the cast. Um, while we were here and and that turned into something to manage um where we had to make sure that all the kids were good and and that the teachers were tested and that we had everybody on the right um curriculum so that they wouldn't fall behind uh, because the kids are different ages and and we ended up we had t-shirts for it and everything was this little academy that we had like it, it um and it became this kind of very insular in school learning, like, like in-person learning thing that the kids could do at our house, um, which a lot of kids right now don't, you know, do not have, like they're, they're entirely yeah. Zoom based. Um, and so that was really exciting, but it just creates these bubbles of intense management that you have to kind of take care of. And the minute somebody gets seasonal allergies, you know, symptoms and sneezes, like, it, it just yeah. shuts the whole thing down. Yeah. But yep. it just stops. It's very, it very stops dead in its tracks. Yeah. yeah. I want to take you back, uh, Mike, to before Absentia. Oh, yeah. You, uh, you were working in uh, post production in a similar realm that Eddie was working in. And you said you have a 10 year old. So I'm assuming your 10 year old came around the time Absentia was in the works. Yes. In and fact, he's, he's that, in the movie. Uh, oh wow okay yeah, so what i'm getting at yeah. is so yeah. we have a two-year-old here my wife is pursuing a creative career in voiceover we have a voiceover booth she has an agent all That's these awesome. different reels i uh i'm an actor but i'm also a writer and there was one of those things we had those conversations where okay we have a kid now we we are now giving ourselves x amount of time to make it before we have to just buckle down and get a quote-unquote real job. And I'm wondering what your mindset was like, because you've done the career pivot thing. Eddie's done the career pivot thing. I've pivoted multiple times and it almost feels like at times we're just flying by the seat of our pants and there's no real ground beneath us. And I'm wondering if you can take me back to that mindset of being a new dad and also wanting to pursue your creative passions without really knowing where it's going to land. Totally. Um, in a lot of ways, my my oldest son is the reason that absentia happened and that I have a career at all at this point. Because um, I, I was working uh, working as an editor. It was great work. Um, I actually, I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't spent um, that much time learning yeah. how to put a story together, and especially in a very fast-paced environment. 
like cutting reality TV was the best thing that ever happened to me professionally. And it, it equipped me to be able to handle all the rest of it later. Um, but I was working yeah, at World of Wonder at a couple other mm -hmm. companies um, around town. And I tried to kind of get a foothold um, into, into features. And I tried to sell scripts over the years and had these little brushes with potential uh, momentum that never materialized into anything real. And um, I'd made a couple indie features, digital things and some shorts um, that, that were fun and were great learning experiences and had, you know, hit some festivals, but it never really grabbed anything. Uh, and then I found out that I was going to be a dad and I wasn't married. Um, you know, uh, uh, his mother and I lived together. We'd, we'd been dating for a couple of years. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, everything got very serious. It was like, okay, well, you know, here, here comes a kid. Um, and if I'm going to, if I'm going to bring him into this world, I need, it's, it's, it's on me to make sure that I have provided a stable bedrock for him to land. And that means that I can't kind of quit the job that's giving me the um, access to health benefits and giving me, you know, uh, and get, keeping the, the lights on in order to roll the dice to go make a feature, to go, you know, uh, to go out and really try to pursue the dreams. So um, basically, he became kind of the clock. Uh, yeah. And um, what ended up happening was I very quickly wrote Absentia um, using just what was around, uh, like my own apartment and the tunnel across the street where I lived. Um, and scrambled to put it all together. And I was dating Courtney Bell, who's the star of Absentia, and she's pregnant with our son in the movie. Like that's, that's how far along she was by the time we shot. Um, and we wrote that in. Uh, and so the whole thing was, was this, this idea that it was kind of the last Hail Mary. And um, we'd get the movie done. It was just, there was a crew of eight. It was all my friends. We just got together and we, and we, you know, we crowdfunded it and we shot it on a, a Canon 5D and shot in my apartment. We cut it. And as soon as we were done um, and he was born, uh, I immediately got out of absentia and um, uh, jumped into two uh, full-time editorial jobs. And I, I did a day shift and a night shift to try to keep oh, man. everything going. Um and at that point, the movie was done and it was like, well, that was the Hail Mary pass. I got to make this really fun uh, feature. That was kind of it. Um, and my feeling at the time was uh, that that was going to be one way or the other. That was the last mm -hmm. indie. Um, and it was either going to kick open the door and lead to bigger things or it wasn't, in which case I was going to always kind of feel like, well, I, I got to do that. I did it just in time. And then... Um, uh, the movie went out there and it did, it, it, it worked. It, it slowly kind of built up a reputation and it generated interest. And I was still cutting reality TV at the time when they, uh, when I started, I, I got a, a, an attorney who took me on as a client, which was kind of the first thing that kicked open my career. Cause he put me with a manager and they put me with an agent and suddenly I had it, uh, I had reps and I was taking meetings but the whole time I was working, um, I was, I was at a company called Film Garden in, uh, yeah, they, uh, in the Valley. And yep. I, was, I was doing a backyard DIY uh, improvement show. 
they're like they're like over in like they were like near Pie Town, if I remember correctly. Like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like North Hollywood area. Yep, yeah, they were they were spinning distance from the uh, Van Nuys Airport. Yep, um, and that's where uh, I live. I'm like a <laughs> mile from there. It was neat. I would I would pass the airport on the way to work and be like, "That's where they that's where they shot Casablanca. That's that's where they did the ending." <laughs> um, but uh, it's but the yeah. Scrubs Hospital right there. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so it was really it was I was doing that even as you know Oculus. I had sold the the option on Oculus for a couple bucks and and um, was working on a feature version of that. And as that started to kind of look like it was going to be real. I was sneaking out of my editing job to go do casting sessions for Oculus and lying about having doctor's appointments and stuff. Because <laughs> um, I couldn't. Ah, I, love yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I love it because I've done that too. It's amazing. Oh, it's, I mean, there's, no, there's nothing else you can do because you can't like give yeah. up the job, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, I, I remember uh, calling out saying I have a doctor's appointment to drive across town to audition for a big like commercial or TV show. And then just yeah. to come back and like, be like, well, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Everything's good. I'm going to be, I'm going to live. Yeah. 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 That was close. Turned out nothing. Don't worry gonna, about I'll, it. I'll and stay I, late today. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and you do, you stay late. And, and it was funny cause I would be stressed out. I I'd get to like the, the prep meetings and the casting sessions and I'd be so stressed and I'd be looking at the clock the whole time. Cause I'm like any minute now, my story producer is going to walk into the cutting room and I'm just going to be fucked. And like, they, they're in North Hollywood. All of the casting and preps were in an office in Santa Monica, which, you know, might as well be in Nevada. Oh, oh and like, yeah. I, I'm like, and now I just have to run out of here and get in the car and sit in traffic on the 405 to like, hopefully dash back into my seat before someone really notices how long I've been gone. Oh my God. Um, and then I've got PTSD a, flashbacks here. Oh, it's rough. Yeah. And, and then it's like, and I have to turn in the episode. So like, I'm going to yeah. have to stay late to do that. And I had a night shift um, where I was doing, it was, I was very fortunate. I was doing this, uh, this kind of clip crime show. Um, and, you know, one of those like, you know, world's dumbest criminals countdown shows. And I would cut pods for it. So uh, which is just little segments of it. And, and so I would run to that at night, but there was no one supervising overnight. So if, as long as I got the pods done, I, I could leave and get sleep and make my morning shift and then try to sneak out for the, for the movie. And, but I didn't know if Oculus would really happen. Like you hear all this stuff all the time about the movies that make it to whatever point and then they fall away. Um, and so I didn't quit my job until they had booked my flight to go, uh, to go shoot Oculus. And then, then I, I wow. turned in my notice and said, like, I'm going <laughs> to, I, I have to do this movie. Insane. Yeah. That's and, so insane. Yeah. I remember what I saw you, uh, the first time I actually talked to you in person was at this Netflix event a few years ago. Although I think I saw you at this award show called the Igor awards that they used to have at the universal studios. Like, yeah, it, you might've oh, been maybe. there. I'm not yeah. really sure. Um, I don't remember. Yeah. And you talked you talked to someone at this Netflix thing saying there's just one thing that can kick the door open for you. And then yeah. once that happens, you're in. And I think that that's just the work up to that point is so. So intense on an emotional and physical level, especially if you're a new parent and, you know, coming from my perspective, I never wanted to be a dad. I was afraid of it. Uh, you know, I never had a dad. I never had a grandfather. I did confirm with my mom the other day that my great grandfather was in the Holocaust. And when my wow. grandfather died, my uncle left. And it was like this whole thing where and I've talked about this before on the show of. Um, 
even when there's loss before you're born, you're sort of handed this, this, this grief, like here, here's life. And here's also the loss that happened to our family before you were born. And you're going to carry this with you as well. And um, I've been having these conversations with my mother recently, trying to understand what her life was like before the accident. So I don't remember if I told you this, uh, a palm tree fell on Sherman way near uh, Sepulveda. There's a bunch of palm trees that line the streets in, in California, in Los Angeles. And this palm tree specifically had dead roots and it was a windy day. And my grandfather was a milkman. He was, was one of the many jobs he had. It was the early seventies and he was driving my grandmother to a surprise birthday party. Well, as it happens, a palm tree fell over and landed on their car and killed my grandfather on my grandmother's birthday and mm. put my grandmother in the hospital for six months. And throughout that whole time, my mom was so distraught with shock. She never visited my grandmother. And that accident changed, I think, the trajectory of my whole entire family's path. If that accident, I even said to my mom, do you think if this accident didn't happen, you would have met my father? Because I really do feel like that was the catalyst for me to come into this world. She met my dad, who was a whole other basket of problems. Hell's Angel, drug addict, ex-con, all the stuff that he came into the relationship with. And when I was born and brought up, I was brought up in this world of your father's a bad guy, your grandfather's dead, your uncle's not around. It was starting to have this, this ongoing messaging of, you know, being a dad, it's almost like there's a curse in my family of if you're a guy and you end up getting married and have a kid, you're going to disappear. You're going to vanish. And I'm getting somewhere with this, by the way. Um, I feel like that concept of loss and death and the way these types of traumas are handed down to new generations where it wasn't directly impacting them is something that you explore a lot in your work. And I'm wondering so I'm going to hold on before I ask this question, I'm going to read you a quote that you said in the blind manner junket that really I have Exhibit not a, Mike. I haven't been able to get this out of my head. And it's blind manner wasn't your stereotypical horror story, but it was horrific in in the subject matter you you explored. And you said, what happens when one of us has to die first? What happens to my life after they're gone? That's one of the most uncomfortable, upsetting and haunting questions that I've ever wrestled with internally. And I feel like that is something that we all deal with, you know, especially if we're married, if we're just in any sort of relationship situation where you're bonded to a person, whether you're, you get a divorce or that person dies, like how your life is inextricably changed with them there and then with them gone. That's, that's intense. And uh, I don't think you really were asked a follow-up question about that but that feels like a concept that is in a lot of your work. And I'd love for you to talk about that if you can. Of course. Yeah. No, I mean, you're kind of striking at what I think is the most horrific idea uh, about being alive that, that, that strikes me because there's, there's so many horrors possible in the world and, you know, violence and, and the evil that humans are capable of, you know, there's a good chance, though, that a lot of us won't ever really feel the true brunt of that. We're going to witness it, but hopefully we're not ever going to find ourselves kind of, a, you know, on the tip of the knife of a, of a serial killer. You know, it, it, we hope anyway that 
those levels of horrors, you know, are going to spare some of us, if not most of us. But I think the idea of loss, of, of losing someone who makes us who we are um, in a lot of ways, that touches all of us. Like that, that is an inescapable and universal horror. And um, that has always really, really resonated with me and, and kept me up um, at night. Like it, it's, I, I grew up in, in, in a relatively uh, very just kind of, peaceful house you know my, my parents are still together um I can't recall any specific traumatic event growing up um it was safe it felt safe to me and the idea as I got older that that was a very fragile thing and was mm. kind of this little island um that really scared me uh I very much believe that we encounter people throughout our lives who change us almost on a genetic level that that people who alter the the dna of who we are um sometimes drastically um just by our interactions with them and like you said those people come and go in our lives in different ways sometimes uh they leave there's a divorce or people grow apart or you know circumstance can keep people apart or or, or it's toxic and you choose to to cut that person out or vice versa um, but death is, is just such a, a abrupt and final removal of that. Um, who are you as these people who so drastically inform your identity are removed? Um, and that, that I find to be a very frightening and destabilizing idea. It's particularly only gotten kind of scarier um, since I became a parent because... Yes. Uh, the... <laughs> The, confirmed uh, yeah it's the the thing is you know there you identify the people in your life who you choose to invite into your life and and you can kind of say like oh and they they changed me they challenged me they forever you know altered who i am we're doing that every day to these kids and that's an involuntary thing on both sides of the camp you know like for all the efforts that we make to not you know, traumatize our children in, in ways that we were traumatized or to, you know, to spare them a certain facet of our own upbringing. We're doing other things to them that we are completely unaware of, uh, you know, that aren't going to come out until they are adult enough to process it <laughs> and be able to right. turn to us and say, like, when I grew up, you never let me, you know, do this, this and that. And you'll be like, oh, my God, I did that because yeah. I was trying to spare you something else. And it's like, but that has fucked me up, Dad. And it'll be like, what the hell? This is impossible. <laughs> um, so I, I find it all very, I find it all, it's a bit of an obsession, I think. And, and horror as a genre, I think, exists only as a platform for us to examine those uncomfortable and scary things about life. And, and I'm less afraid by, you know, a monster under a bed or a killer at the window and stuff like that, which I think is like, yeah, it's reasonable to be afraid of, but it's very simple. Um, then I am of, of how we change each other, how the things we do to each other can echo, not only in our own lives, but, in, in generations to come long after we're gone um, and affect other lives, you know, that, that butterfly effect of 
parenthood and, and how all the stuff we deal with when we dig into therapy, which I believe everybody should just be in, because uh, it's, it's so necessary. I, I think as we dig into it, it always goes back to our childhoods and it always goes back to our parents. And, and you know, of course it does because that's when we were forming. Um, yeah. And where, where the foundation was poured and that's when the cement started to dry. So of course that's where everything is. Uh, and to realize that you're providing the cement for someone else is, is a critically scary thing. Um, you know, and for all our best intentions, we could really fuck these people up. Like, yeah. it's really, really scary. So, so yeah, a, a bit of a rambling answer to your question, but I, for me, it, that that's never really going to go away um, from the work that I'm drawn to because it, it is a preoccupying thought in my day-to-day -day life. And if I didn't have an outlet to try to explore it creatively, um, I'm neurotic enough that that stress could really, really spin me in circles and, and threaten to kind of immobilize me. So there's always going to be a need for me to try to, to look at that. Um, okay. And, yeah. In, in work is, oh my is a God. safe place to do it. So, yeah. You know, and it's, it's uh, okay. So there was a moment in one of the episodes of Bly Manor, the black and white one that Axel directed uh, you in, in that story, there's the dream skipping, but there's also the 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 way you present ghosts and how spirits tend to lose their identity of who they were prior. And I feel like that can be unpacked in so many ways. And I mentioned my mother because the trauma over the years changed who she was. And it got to a point where the woman I knew growing up is not the woman I know now. She's not the superwoman that I thought she was. She lost all her teeth and has like all these um, health issues that have stemmed from decades of not dealing with the trauma and chaos and grief of a specific time. And I feel like when you're talking about being a dad or a parent to a kid, it's like they see you in a specific way. And then suddenly that changes the way you view the people who raised you. And it's this crazy um I, I'm still going through it. Like, holy crap, this is my mom's just a person, you know? And these were all the things she was dealing with when raising me. And I had all this resentment about my childhood growing up and now I'm gaining clarity. And I'm wondering, since you just said this is kind of an obsession and this has become kind of an obsession of mind in, in sort of figuring out my past to understand my present and hopefully pave the way to a better future for my daughter than what I had. How do you or do you even communicate these issues with your kids? Because I, I mean, they've I know they come up in conversations, especially the insurrection that happened a month ago. Like, I know kids are going to see that and want to understand what's going on. How do you I mean, do you drill that down and try to have these conversations or do you try to block that from them? Uh, with with my oldest, we definitely talked about uh, everything that happened um, on January 6th. And we, we've we've had a lot of talks in the last year about the country and, and um, police and racism and, and things like that as he's getting old enough to organically bump into these things in the world. And I very much, 
I very much feel like it's part of my job to arm him, um, to be able to intelligently participate, you know, in those, you know, much more kind of traumatic and upsetting parts of being a human being right now. Um, so I, 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 I try very hard to not lie to my kids, um, even yeah. to kind of protect them. And that, that's a really difficult thing because there are some things I don't think they need to know or should know right now because I, I also want to protect their feelings of happiness and safety and joy and innocence. It's like you don't want to see that go away, right? So it's a tough thing. I have found in addition to having difficult and frank conversations and admitting things like, I don't know, I, as your father, am scared. You know, uh, being being able to to not pretend to have it all under control is important. And um, the other thing that I've always kind of held on to is that if I can't find the right words to talk about certain things with them, um, I'm in another incredibly fortunate place because um, they will have a piece of me after I'm gone that they can interrogate. Like they're going to have the work that I do. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot That's of heavy it is. And it's changed the way I approach work. And, and, you know, I, I, I've talked before to a couple of people about how I can see a pretty big shift in the types of stories that I was telling, and especially in the endings of those stories um, before and after uh, I really, kind of understood the weight of parenthood and um like absentia ends on a very uh a very dark a very bleak a very hopeless note and so does oculus and both were written um before i was a parent and after that you know I, i've taken some uh, some some hits for for having what people are like oh it's a schmaltzy ending or it's a right you know uh but there's there's a reason for me that it's important that I don't leave behind a piece of work that tells my kids they live in a world without hope. And um, that's something that, you know, is, is not always easy to reconcile with my chosen genre, but um, that even kind of as things get very dark and even as stories get really brutal, that I try to always find a note of redemption, forgiveness and hope for them. Um, so that the last kind of note, uh, a movie or, or a show that I'm working on hits is, is a note in that direction that, um, that kind of says there's, there's a way forward from here. It's not nihilistic. And um, that's become a priority for me that, you know, sooner or later I'm gone and the kids will have the memories of, you know, the conversations we had and, and the time we spent together. Those memories are imperfect. They're selective. They're, you know, um, about as subjective as things can be. And I know that all too well, um, but they'll also have this record. And the record is kind of the body of work that I chose to give the time to uh, when I wasn't with them. Um, and that time better be well fucking spent. Like it, it better have some kind of value for them uh, so that it isn't just time I wasn't there. And if that means that, you know, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, they can go back and there's a moment in a conversation in Haunting or Dr. Sleep that strikes something with them and where they can say like, no, that's my dad. Like, that's what he mm -hmm. thought. 
um, that's a great way for them to get to know me um, in that way that, you know, in that way that kids never, kids never know their parents. It's like, we think, we yeah. like you said, the, 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 the person in our head and the reality is, is, a, is something we have to reconcile actively. Um, and we have to do that often, you know, uh, way in our adulthood or sometimes when they're gone. And, and yeah. like, how unfair is that? So yeah, it, it's, it's changed the way I view work and, and changed the, the degree of responsibility I feel for it. So that when, you know, so that when, like, I, I see some, I see people talking about Gerald's game and they're like, I wish the movie would have just ended, you know, when she crashed the car. And I was like, yeah, but see for my daughter, the yeah, last right. five minutes where she that. talks. Yeah. It, like that's the important part. That's yeah. the reason to make the film. And, and for her, I want her to see this story that ends with a woman kind of staring down these things that abused her and saying, you're smaller than I thought you were like, that's, yeah. that's why I did it. Not because yeah. yeah, the suspense is fun and yeah, it was cool. And her right. hand came off. That was great. But like, that's not why. And, and so it's, um, it's something I've, I've actually got these are every time now and then I say a sentence like this and it makes me go like, uh, but it's something I got to talk to Stephen King about, mm. ab about um, how he similarly has a compass in his work that really points toward love and humanism. Um, often, you know, to the, often, often to, to the dismay of his critics, especially with his endings. Um, but that's really important for him as a father. And, and um, you know, that's, that's something I, I see and understand about him that, that I relate to very much. And one of the reasons I, I think that, you know, it's, it's not felt like work to be adapting uh, his stuff. It, it's felt very, very natural for me. And that was and, also maybe like a bucket list thing for you too, yeah, right? though, right? Hugely, yes, like hugely. Like, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, since I was a kid, Stephen King. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm rambling at you guys a lot. No, no, it's no. It's, we it's, all ramble. We all do. Yeah. Welcome to the show. It's a uh, <laughs> ramble town is the, is the alternate name. No, I want to drill down into what you said about leaving your work behind as a way to, to kind of get to know you or parts of you. Um, my father passed away in 2005. My dad was a little bit older when he had me. He was like 41. He did two tours in Vietnam. And beyond that, he was stationed in, uh, in Taiwan and a few other places in Southeast Asia. And for a while, my brother is half Chinese. His second wife was, uh, was, was from Taiwan. And, um, so all that is said is that when my father passed, I got his, uh, foot lockers, uh, and, in addition to just some really great like home movies and photos that he took, like, you know, he went to the Tokyo Olympics in 64 and all this other stuff. Uh, my father was a film critic for the China Lantern, which was an English language newspaper for servicemen and women who were stationed um, in the Taiwan sort of Southeast Asia region. And um, so I got to read his film reviews. Um, and so, you know, growing up, he and I, I've talked about it a little bit here. He and I watched movies together. He got me into film. Like that was what, allowed me to sort of pursue this as, as a career, but reading his work in the moment in his youth, in addition to, yeah, this is, um, this is something that 
you know, was my father's work, essentially my father's creative work. Um, I also realized how much it was a snapshot of my father at a moment in time uh, in his life. Right. And I think like I could see how he engaged with film criticism as a 55, 60 year old man, um, you know, in my, from my teen to late teen years, but hearing him review in real time, sweet, sweet backs, badass song when he's in his late twenties, early thirties. Um, it was, it almost like unlocked this huge full picture of him. You've been making movies. You and I are roughly the same age. I think you, you've been making independent film, um, you know, since your late twenties, early thirties around that. If I, if I have, if I'm tracking, yeah. the, if I'm clocking the time correctly, um, you know, my earliest doc work, which please don't watch, uh, goes back to like my early twenties, you know, like, my, cause I started as a, as a doc filmmaker and like, as like, you know, in, in that world and before going to editing and, um, all this is to set up sort of a question, which is, you know, you, you I would just like to just cut in here and say, my dad did biker porn in the early seventies and that's right. all I got to see of his legacy. So I'm a little jealous of you guys right now because I did not want to see that shit. Sure. But you got, but you got to know him a little better. Oh boy. Did I, in a way that we'll never, I'll never know my dad. That's for sure. Uh, but no, I, but I, I, and I also don't like, I don't look, I don't look for what it's worth there. And I don't look in any way judgment of that. Like I, I look at like, where that brings a person and like i you know we both know people in the adult industry now you know I mean? no no so no, no like, i know i'm just so, saying i saw I like i i don't know why i you looked it up shit. i know yeah. what his stage yeah. name no, I was it. and i found I the it. video i get all right, it go on no, but all, all that is to say is that mike is that when you know you're, you say you're, you you're leaving a narrative to interrogate i think beyond that you're leaving uh, a timeline to interrogate an evolution and a growth in character and i guess my question to you would be what would you want your kids to extrapolate? Like if you, you know, you're not going to be in control of that narrative, right? Like you're not going to be, it's going to be for them to interrogate and take their own meaning from, but from your perspective in your work, starting with, you know, your earliest films and Oculus all the way through up until blind man or now there's an evolution there. Right. And even, even your reality work, right? Like there, I know for a fact, there are little tiny, we both know the machines and we know how that works. But I also know those moments where you're able to like put little bits of yourself in all of them, totally. right? Where you're able yeah. to like, you're, I can point to certain episodes of Flavor of Love and go, that's me. Like, and I stand by that now. Yeah. You know, so like, <laughs> um, hey man, when I did, when I did, when I did a, a like a, a workout Flavor, video montage. Flav. Yeah. But like, but, but that's what I'm saying is that that's, I don't, I don't, I don't partition that out of my life's work. I don't partition that out of like my creative expression. And my kids are going to, I don't even know where the fuck they're going to begin trying to examine my work, but, but for you, what would you hope your kids extrapolate over time? Not just your position, but your evolution of what you're trying to say and what you're trying to contribute for them specifically. The, the biggest thing I, I, I want them to take away from is that they're okay, that they are uh, forgiven for anything that they, you know, may feel guilty about in relation to their relationship with me or with the world in general, just that, that they're all right. And, and that they were loved. Um, and that, you know, kind of to that first point that, that there's hope always, um, you know, that that's, that's kind of thread throughout it. And, and I think they'll see 
you know, some of the, some of the things that I, that find its way into my work a ton is things they'll see very specific to me about um, faith and science, you know, the, they'll know their, you know, their dad was an atheist, but had faith in other things. Um, and in particular had faith in people. Uh, and, you know, would, would also have a spiritual streak and wanted very, very much to kind of stress that, you know, forgiveness is the most important word, you know, for them to learn. Uh, and, and, uh, and addiction too, which is all over my stuff, you know, and, um, and for good reasons, you know, it's, I want them to kind of see the conversation, some of which internal, you know, kind of came, came right up about alcohol. Um, and, you know, my daughter, I hope, will never know what her dad was like drunk. You know, I, I've been sober her whole mm. life. And, uh, you know, my oldest, I can't say that about. And, and um, I think I, I'd like for them to kind of understand that as they, they all have a genetic predisposition to addictive behavior, um, like everyone in my family does. And so as Same. my kids get older and I know they're going to bump into this, I know it's going to be an issue. And, and I want them to be able to kind of look back and, and be able to see in real time how I tried to deal with it. Um, and hopefully it helps them get sober if that's what they want and, uh, or what they need. And um, yeah. so, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot, I think the biggest thing is, is, which is so weird to leave them a pile of horror movies, but like the biggest thing is like, I don't want them to be afraid. Um, it's like, I, I want them to use the horror in the movies and the horror in the content to help get braver, um, to use yeah. it as safe little exercise and courage. Um, and then the rest of it, I, I, I want them to let, to let themselves release any fear they have that um, that they're resented or that they messed something up or I, I want them to, to just feel safe and I want them to feel like it's going to be all right. Um, even if it's dark and scary on the way. And even if we that, never that, see each other again, you know? So, like, yeah. 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 With horror though, like, that's the that's the misconception I think a lot of people have. And, and you know, you mentioned earlier you've gotten some digs on on some dings. I don't remember the exact word you used. And it really irks me because I feel like the horror genre is there to help us exercise these darker issues and come out the other end, you know, a better person or at least um, resolving some sort of thing, knowing that you can survive and uh, – it's not just jump scares and it's not just like the, the, the slasher following you down a dark alley to some sort of horrific, gory demise. And that's one of the things I love about your work. And you mentioned Stephen King and it's, I feel like, you know, to all his, to all his faults, he does the same thing where there's a whole load of humanity thrown in there where you can actually relate. The character work is there at underneath whatever supernatural shit is going on are real issues that are relatable that we all deal with. And what you were talking about right now, like, well, I think we're all going through this in, in our own work, you know, and that's why I've started trying to put together just 
it started off as a memoir that ended up turning into this podcast. And I'm just trying to, to, to reconcile all these different facets of my life and how it ends up somehow coming together in this weird place where I'm now a dad where I never thought I'd be. And now I have a kid who's looking up to me like I'm a superhero. Um, Eddie mentioned earlier his dad in the movie reviews and uh, how he would connect with his father over film. And a few months ago, we had Drew McQueenie on and we talked about media literacy with uh, with children mm. and how he feels like that is an important thing to be able to educate kids through movies and television and the different uh, types of stories that are told and the different, you know, issues that are explored therein. And I'm wondering if that's because I know you're big on indie film. I know you have a huge uh, uh, radar when it comes to consuming this type of content. You're a champion of it, which I think is fantastic. But I'm wondering, do you at all have a plan of of sharing or educating your children within this realm, especially since that's what you work in? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I, I might be even just a little flinchier than normal about kind of what what they take in because I, I know firsthand how ideas can become embedded in media and how they can kind of go directly into, into the minds of, of, of viewers and, and change the way they see the world, you know? So, so I'm very careful about what, what they're watching or at the very least, you know, preparing them to understand that that's possible and that, their opinions and, and other things can be so formed by, by what they're taking in that they just have to be kind of aware of it. I think it's a really big deal. And, and I think, you know, to, to, to what you just said right before that about the reason you're doing this podcast and the kind of intense personal interrogation that you're going through, you know, that's the kind of stuff I want them to really be aware of and, and focusing on is, is not only what, what they're watching, but why, why it's there, right. um, where it came from. And, and that's the reason that I, that I'm doing this podcast. Uh, you know, oh, I, well, I thank get, you. Yeah, no, I, I, I get a ton of, of requests to do podcasts. And if I were to do them all, I, I would, uh, I would not see my kids. So, yeah. you know, it, for me to kind of, um, at least right now, I'm, I, for me to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, sit and do this. Um, the reason that I wanted to do this podcast um, is because when you talk about a purpose and you talk about, you know, why a piece of media exists, um, your journey that you're going through in kind of understanding your place as a son and a father and, and what that does to your life, which we started talking about like a year ago uh, over email, I think, um, you know, we did. We, yeah, and it, yeah. it, it, it um, ended up um, turning into multiple pieces that have actually, you know, I got paid for it, but it's also helped me realize, uh, gain, like I said earlier, and gain clarity. Like I, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt for a second, but like The Shining has always been my favorite movie, but it wasn't until watching Dr. Sleep and having these conversations with you did I really understand why I connected so much to both of those stories. Because at one point I felt like I was Danny and then at one point, I'm like, shit, am I going to become Jack? And it's that kind of, you mentioned earlier, alcoholism and addictive personalities and the legacy that that you were born into, but also that what you may be passing down to your kids. 
how do, how you change that narrative and at least open yourself up to honesty, authenticity, and communication with them, I think is a huge thing. And, and, you know, whether we like it or not, media, movies, TV shows, podcasts, whatever, that's the big way that we're communicating nowadays, these big ideas, right? Absolutely. It, it totally is. And, and I think it's critical that kids be properly educated about that and understand that like, yeah, it's fun to watch. Uh, it's fun to watch the Avengers. And there's a reason dad cried at, you know, at Endgame. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, uh, that more than that, um, it's, it's these, these records, these, these pieces of entertainment that we take in, they, they come from places, a lot of them that, that have a very real point and a very real purpose and understanding that context um, is I think really important. Um, and it's, it's interesting because like we right now, the three of us, this conversation, um, is going to be an accessible record for our kids. Like the, yeah. the odds are incredibly high that they're going to be listening to, to this part of this conversation years and years and years from now. And it's going to be resonating with them in a really important way. And, and that's part of, it's that thing where like you realize, <laughs> Everything you do after your parent is just kind of infused with responsibility, <laughs> like everything. And, and this is no yeah. exception. It's, it's like the, you know, the, the simple act of as, as, as you guys kind of pull people in to have these conversations about parenthood, it's like you're creating this gift for your kids and, and yeah. the people who are, are, you know, your guests on the show are doing the same. And it's like, and it goes out into this, crazy world that we didn't have as kids where, where there's this digital cloud in which, you know, the ghosts of our parents live now. And it's really crazy. Like it's really nuts. And it is at a certain point, you know, because you're recording this on zoom, like your kids are going to look at your face having this conversation and, and they're oh, going to be Well, just so you know, this that. is just yeah, an audio like, podcast. Yeah, okay. The video is not going to go on the internet. <laughs> Trust me. I did not wake up well enough to, to have this face. But yeah, no, that's, I had never even actually thought of that. I was so solely focused on doing this to try to strip the anxiety away about fatherhood and also strip the mis the, the, the misunderstandings and, preconceived antiquated notions of what being a dad in our society is supposed to be, you know, Eddie and I talked about this in our first episode, the, the reactions we would get pushing a stroller down the street because we are men would be just insane. Like we're getting these accolades where women do the exact same fucking things and aren't because it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? That's what oh, yeah. started me down this road. And, but I never even thought, until right this moment that my daughter one day would probably listen to daddy dropping F-bombs <laughs> on a podcast. Oh, no, she's going to chase you know. it down. Like, like yeah. at a certain point it's, it's going to be, it's going to be this incredibly relevatory experience of searching for all of the footprints that you've put out there in the world so she can follow you. And, and like, that's wow. crazy. It's, it's, uh, it is. And now suddenly my, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my my awareness is probably going to shape the show moving forward. <laughs> no, but but let her like like it's great that she hears you drop the f bomb, and it's great that yeah. she hears you you know speaking comfortably and and you know and being yourself. And that's the, the same snapshot, 
you know, that, that snapshot Eddie's talking about of like this moment in your life. That's what she wants to understand. Yeah. 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 So. There was this old Tumblr blog called Your Parents Were Awesome. And it was nothing but it was all user generated and user submitted photos of parents from the mid to mid 70s, to early 80s in their prime. And, you know, there it was still photos. And I, I had that like my mom was my mom was young when she had me. My, there was a, it was a May, December between my mom and my dad. And, um, you know, so she was, uh, you know, when I was like four, my mom was like 25 and rocking solid gold pants and like, you know, chain hoop belts and all this other shit. And like, and she was kind of awesome. Like she was, you know, she had like this style to her that you, you kind of see, you, you see Peter out later in life. Likewise, my dad, my dad had some suits, man. My dad had some, like, <laughs> he had some, he had, he had uh, some looks to him for, he, he, had, he was rocking that confident short guy energy. Um, and you know, <laughs> which like, you rock very well, Eddie. I'm five eight, man. My dad was five five. So you're, there's, an, inch, there's, you're an inch shorter than me, so you're still yeah. short. Uh, hey, national average. I'll take it. Um, so bottom line is, is like, you know, I think it's funny because like I don't think our by the time your parents, you just own this fact. Like I'm not cool. I'm not. You know what I mean? And like I work with a lot of like young digital talent in like their early to late twenties, and like they're you know, and like shit. Some of these, some of these like cultural references and gaps like I'm, I'm pretty with the times but you know periodically there'll just be some things I'm like yeah no that was that's that, too young for me and i you know so i don't care about being perceived cool by my kids i want to be perceived as like something but i think deep down part of us we want to i think part of us wants our kids to know at some level like hey we were young once you know we were like we had yeah. like these r- rich full lives uh, before you, you know what I mean? And like, I, 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 and also I just think like, it makes them feel like they can kind of own their own mistakes and their own sort of misadventures finding themselves a little bit early. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've had to, you know, I've, it's funny. Eve six has been big on social media lately. Uh, I went to high school with those guys. I played a show with those guys. Wait, wait Eve six put a heart in my blender that, that song. Yeah. They've been killing it on Twitter lately, but yeah, I went to high school with those guys. And like, I, and like we, I recently chatted, I think it was Max, but like, I recently like, yeah, you, you do not remember me, but like our band played the same shows. And at the, that one place across from Glendale college, the cops came and busted it up and we were like running out the door with like our snare. Like I, I look back on that stuff and I kind of want my kids to know that, but I don't know when, like, I don't know when Eddie, to have this conversation. You do remember we knew each other back when I wore yes. lipstick and fishnets yes. and, and vinyl pants to <laughs> underground clubs oh, dude, in yeah. Hollywood. And I, I have pictures and I know she's going to discover that. And that's going to yeah. open up a whole other conversation about music and, and yep. representation and the way you express yourself. And uh, it's, it's crazy to me. I, I know we're almost out of time with the yeah. show. I, I honestly, Mike, I have one final question for you. Can you talk to me about your relationship with social media and mm. uh, uh, if pineapple is a good topping for pizza? <laughs> um, uh, social media. I don't understand social media. I'm not good at it. I, I, um, I, it's, it's funny because uh, I, I've had it all at one point or another. Well, no, I, I guess I've had it all for someone my age who's completely unaware of like what it all is because I, I'm I older than you, Twitter. but I understand. <laughs> um, and I had Instagram for a, for a hot second, but that that did not yeah. go great. Like, uh, you know, the um, 
I use it pretty much primarily now just as um, a promotional tool. Like Twitter is kind of the only one I have left. And I, I try to only use it to get information about the work out there. And I try to, to keep it, you know, free of conflict or politics or anything else. Although I've, I've completely broken down on that in the last year. I haven't been able to help myself because like, yeah. what the fuck? But, it's um, a vacuum, though. It's a vacuum for that sort of negative toxicity, right? Yeah, and and I made the mistake, you know, and I keep making the mistake of like you put something up. It, it, it's as simple as saying like I liked this movie, and then you get like this chain Ugh. of just nasty comments and yeah, like how yeah. dare you like something? And and it it makes me mad. Um, but yeah, I've had a I had a Facebook account that I just don't use anymore because I I just watched too many. It just was this vomitous cesspool of negative bullshit and i watched like family members and friends get sucked into these weird mm. propaganda cults and it was just heartbreaking yeah, yeah. Um, and then i i didn't know what to do with instagram and people were like you should have an instagram and i was like i don't know what to do with it uh and someone as a joke because i i uh, i went through a period of several years where like pizza was my food it was like it was what I always Nothing wrong with that. No, I love it. I love pizza. Now it's ramen. Um, but there wow. was a, it's Canada. The pizza. You can easily there. start a ramen Instagram. Yeah. A ramen Instagram. I, and I was like, I'm going to use my Instagram just for uh, pictures of pizza. And it'll be yeah. funny. I'll have actors hold up pizza. And we'll do like weird little pizza things. I'll tell you, I miss it. I miss it too, but it, it like, it was, it was just a joke and it was just kind of yeah. a thing. And all of a sudden I got piled on by these QAnon people that Thank were like, God. yeah, that were like, oh, the pizza thing is like a pizza gate thing. And, and you did Dr. Sleep. So we're connecting the dots. And it's yeah. like, holy fuck. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, Christ. it's a joke, but it's not that funny. Jesus. Um, and so uh, I ended up just not knowing what else to do with Instagram. So I kind of let it die on the vine. Um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, the other thing kind of to our earlier point though, and this is the scariest part about social media to me, when you talk about leaving a record, um, you know, for your kids someday, you know, uh, like that's a dicey thing with, with social media. It's yeah. maybe real care. Eddie talked about, about that. There is a program yeah. or algorithm where you can delete stuff that is over two years old from your social feeds. And I like, part of me doesn't want to. <laughs> because of the work I'm in. But another part of me is like, eh, there are things I'm oh, sure yeah, I yeah. posted. But so, so I guess I was asking that question well. because, you know, the, the less you're on social media, the more I think you're in the moment with your kids yes. and the less they see For you sure. looking at your phone, which makes them want to do the same thing. Right. Uh, but I did notice that uh, mainly your social media stuff now has been promotion. And uh, I only asked the pizza question because I've only recently discovered that pineapple on a pepperoni pizza is not bad. And no, I was, no, you know, slamming it for son, so long. It's his favorite. It's his favorite topping. And, and uh, well, now he's switched. He's as he's gotten older, he's gone more to more to meats. Like he'll do like bacon and pineapple. And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the pineapple, uh, you know, who eats pineapple on his pizza? Stephen King. Um, oh, um, yeah. yeah, I feel like I feel like I need to weigh in here. Because <laughs> uh, I lived in Hawaii for a time, and um, two things: one, Hawaii pineapple and pizza, totally fine, totally acceptable. I think it's fine. Also, no one in Hawaii eats Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> like this is not, not a thing. This is like we have we're we've got we're up to here with fucking pineapple. We're good. We don't need it in yet another. Thing. 
And then lastly, and this is kind of like a, a, a sad thing, but like my dad had a chili recipe. My dad had this chili recipe that like oh. people loved. And one dude wanted to like co-pack it and brand it and sell it. And my dad was like, ah, I don't really have the appetite for that. Uh, but one of my, my dad had a few secret ingredients. One of the secret ingredients was chunks of pineapple and chili. And it's oh. fucking amazing. It's you get the cumin and the spices that like get sopped up into the pineapple and you get that burst of like sweet acidicness to like balance out the, the, the meat and the beans. And I can't eat beans because I'm much beans, but it's, it balances all that stuff out. And it's, it's amazing. I, I've been like pestering my mom. Like, do you remember what dad put into this chili? He passed away mm. without sharing me this fucking chili recipe. And I just want to make one time. I just want to make one time. We, I miss we, that. Oh man. I Eddie, we could totally do time. an episode just about food and uh, recipes. Would, yes. down. There was that yes. TV show hunters on Amazon. And there was a moment in yeah. it where the Jewish main character had, was just looking for a chicken soup that reminded him of his grandmother's chicken soup. It was a small scene and it fucking murdered me. I was yeah. a ball <laughs> of tears watching yeah. this 20 something year old boy. I said 20 something year old boy, man, eating <laughs> anyways i think uh i think that's it for this episode yeah. i could totally ramble on more but uh you know i have dad duties i need to take care of in a minute uh mike my my friend uh i i'm gonna call you that i hope you don't mind oh, i am so and i'm gonna speak for eddie on this uh so thrilled to have you on the show and this has been a delightful conversation um before we go uh, I always do this. Is there anything that you would like to promote that you are working on or just a message you want to put out into the world before we end the show? Oh man. Yeah. You know, I, I won't promote on this one um, just cause I, I, I don't have anything coming out anytime soon. Uh, but, but on the theme of messages, like, cause I try to hold on to this one all year long, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> We're going to be all right one way or the other, even if we're not, it's going to be okay. Um, yeah. And to like, just hang in there and, and try to find, try to find an extra minute every day, be kind to your kids, just do something kind. Um, that stuff, I think just soaks into them and you do it enough and they just become kind people. So. There's a, there's a quote that Patton Oswalt used in a stand-up routine a few years ago after his wife died. Yeah. And it's just a simple quote. It's chaos, be kind. And I think we lose sight of that a lot. And that's one of the things I try to remind myself on a daily basis because I am a negative, curmudgeonly, impatient guy. Um, and I think part of that is just reminding yourself to be in the moment and to take in the joy that your kids are experiencing in the yeah. things that they're discovering that you, that's just normal to you. So be kind people. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's, that's it. Uh, that's it for the show. Uh, thank you everyone for sitting down and listening to this episode and listening to the show in general. I'm Aaron Pruner. Again, you could find me on Twitter at Aaron Flux. I'm Aaron W. Pruner on Instagram, which I hardly ever update. Aaron W. Pruner on Facebook, which why are we on Facebook? I don't, uh, for my family, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Dadward Spiral is at dadwardspiral.com if you want to read a sub stack that I have not updated in two months. Um, <laughs> at Dragon Wagon Radio, who hosts the show. If you want, check it out. Go to dragonwagonradio.com slash dadwardspiral. We have merchandise. 
uh, our logo is designed from by my best friend from preschool who, I mean, I could have gotten into a whole topic of chosen family with you, Mike, about Bly Manor. His family offered me a father figure I never had. He moved to Hawaii. He's a farmer now, but he's still doing graphic design work on movie posters and TV shows. And he designed our logo. Uh, and that logo is on a mug. It's on a T-shirt. It's on a COVID mask. If you want to go to dragonwagonradio.com and check it out, we would love for you to have an image of me falling precariously in the silhouette of my daughter on your face. <laughs> but besides all that, I once again want to thank uh, Mike Flanagan for joining us and Eddie for setting, also setting time out of his busy Sunday morning. Oh no, this is priority, uh, man. This is priority. Yeah. And once again, Eddie Kirby dot matrix. Yes. Kirby matrix. Oh, clubhouse. I just, uh, I just, I, I'm dipping my toe in the clubhouse world. So Kirby matrix at clubhouse as well. Uh, I, I don't know what that is. Social audio, <laughs> like audio chat rooms. You can do like you can do like panels and symposiums and stuff. It's actually kind of cool. Um, I that's that world is growing. So as part of my job, I have to like keep eyes on it. So uh, yeah, no, it's 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 an interesting little platform. We might there might have there. I, Aaron, we should talk about it. There might it might make sense to do downward spiral rooms right. is like extended episodes we'll talk about it later i don't so. even know what that means but you know at any rate <laughs> thank you all for joining us thank you mike thank you eddie and as always be excellent to each other hi i'm jake lloyd bacon and i am a lifelong pro wrestling fan and i'm alexandra hoy a new fan of pro wrestling who was surprised to fall in love with it. It's much more creative than I ever gave it credit for. Yeah, people sleep on pro wrestling, but it's so much more than most people think it is. It's theatrics, athleticism, comedy, and decades worth of larger-than-life characters that I have to catch up on. So what better crash course in wrestling history than WWE's iconic Royal Rumble match? Every year, 30 wrestlers compete in one massive match, and we're watching all of them. We pick a year at random out of our jar o rumbles and watch it in real time right alongside you in our enlightening podcast, Me, You, and 30 Other Men. So join us at meyouand30.com or wherever you podcast. It's Dragon Wagon.